It is a packed show we have for you this week. We hear from the King of Clay, Rafael Nadal, and the man with more tour wins so far this year than anyone else, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Andy Murray looks back on the past 12 months. We have teen sensations Yannick Zinner and Carlos Alcaraz. There's Denis Shapovalov on hitting the clay, Diego Schwartzman on perhaps his sweetest success so far. And we're with one of the top coaches on tour too. But first, to Barcelona, where the king has reclaimed his crown. Rafael Nadal is a champion in Barcelona for a 12th time. One of the great finals, not just here in Barcelona, but on the ATP Tour as a whole. It's a record-extending 61st clay court title, an 87th title overall. The man is quite simply a genius. Rafa, congratulations. What a fantastic achievement. 12 mm. titles in 16 years. Would you say this was one of your toughest finals, the toughest final here? Oh, probably, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I never... You know, I never played a final like this uh, in this tournament, so it means a lot to me against a player like him that he was uh, achieving Monte Carlo. I'm uh, playing the final here without losing uh, a set, so it's an important victory for me. Uh, I think I have been increasing my level during the, the whole week, and uh, this victory confirms it. No, so uh, that's important for for today. <laughs> Have the trophy with me here at home means uh, a lot, uh, but at the same time for the future. And you said at the beginning of the week you weren't happy with the way you played. How much of a boost is it to know that you can elevate your game in this way? Well, it's a work of every day. You know, it's, uh, it's about uh, accepting the, the challenge. It's about being enough humble to, to, to accept that sometimes you are not playing that well and you need to fight for it and you need to, to, to find uh, try, and try to find solutions uh, every day and that's what I did. No? I mean, go on court, um, uh, work hard and uh, work uh, in a smart way and at the same time with, uh, with the right and positive attitude. No, no other way I understand I, I can achieve the things. Amazing. Congratulations, Rafa. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Ursin Caderas with Nadal and he also spoke with Barcelona finalist, the recent Monte Carlo champion, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Well, he's also you know, he's still playing great. He's still playing unbelievable uh, well. He's in shape, you know. He can still figure it out. But I feel like having to play him is always an enormous amount of like it offers so much, such a challenge to step out of, uh, in the court and having to play against him. You always have to bring the best uh, out of yourself, and it's uh, it's never going to be given to you. So playing him, I think, is the most important thing in the sport, and it, it offers so much in growth and opportunity that it's just uh, enormous the amount of uh, the way you can reflect to it um, in the future what makes it so tough to to play him on clay well he seems to have everything figured out you know he always has a plan b uh, which is uh, difficult especially when you're trying to play your game and things at some point might not work out 100 percent. so you you have to keep your level consistent and uh, not drop for him personally, I think he plays with the angles, with the spins. He takes advantage of his left hand. I think he really uh, reads the game very well, and that's uh, what makes him uh, so powerful and so strong in that surface. And you said this is just the beginning. Um, I mean, you've had such a strong season. You're number one in the race to, to the ATP finals now as well. What do you mean by this is just the beginning? Well, this is just the beginning, meaning that you know we're in the fourth month of the year. 
things are looking good right now, so I'm gonna just have to take my opportunities. You know, I'm, I have a lot of tournaments uh, in front of me. Clay court season is, is the one that I really love and enjoy playing at. And there are so many tournaments ahead of me that I just need to take it week by week. Every single match counts. Every single match has something to offer, points that I really try and focus on right now. Uh, I also try and focus on myself, on my personal growth and how I can do things a certain way that are going to work out and be part of my, my, my personal growth, as I, as I just said. It's important for me to, to have uh, tournaments like this and I also find uh, importance and consistency, which is something that is going to pay off at the end of the year. A few weeks ago, I was in Miami to witness Yannick Sinner reach his first Masters 1000 final. Hugely impressive on the hard courts. This week, the 19-year-old Italian has looked every bit as good on Barcelona's clay, losing only to the finalist, Stefano Tsitsipas, in the semi-finals. Up to another new high, 18 in the world on Monday, it surely won't be long before Sinner knocks on the door of the top 10. Such has been his meteoric rise. I have, you know, a very good team behind me, you know, everyone knows what uh, each member, what they have to do and, you know, which gives me a lot of confidence, you know, everyone has a lot of experience working with many, many players, everyone, so, you know, I think this, uh, this is things what, uh, what, what gives me confidence and, uh, you know, obviously trying to improve uh, every day and then obviously sometimes the results are coming and uh, at the moment I'm happy what I'm doing but you know it's uh, it's never enough so uh, I'm just trying to improve day after day and uh, which is my main goal and then we'll see about the results. So in Monte Carlo when, when you played Novak Djokovic he said that you've got everything to become a champion. Um, I wondered you know you, you obviously constantly want to constantly improve but what do you have at the moment um, to be a champion? Well, you know, being a champion is, uh, is a long, long road, you know, it's uh, still far away, um, you know, uh, Novak, Rafa and Roger, you know, they're uh, something special, you know, they're the best players of our sports in history and, uh, you know, uh, it, it all takes time, you know, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a good start, obviously, you know, being 19 years old, uh, playing uh, on the, on very high level. But, you know, there is uh, to be to be a champion at the moment. I don't I, I don't think about that at the moment because, you know, as I said, the road is long. Uh, there's a lot of work to do, you know, when you play against them, against uh, I had not two chances, Rafa in Roland Garros, Novak in Monte Carlo. So, you know, the road is long, you know, to to actually beat them and uh, even you know if uh, if I can compete against them but you know uh, you know uh, as, as I said you know the road is long so uh, I'm just trying to focusing about that. You mentioned Rafa Nadal and you got a chance to spend a lot of time with him in Australia this year uh, two weeks what surprised you most about him and, and you know getting to know him? You know, obviously, uh, how good he is as a player, I think everyone knows that. But, you know, the thing what impressed me the most was, uh, you know, what kind of person he is. He's very humble, he's a very great guy, you know, him and, and all the team together, you know. It's, uh, you know, from actually from the first day, you know, I felt like uh, welcomed, you know, uh, which 
which is something special, you know, especially for a young guy, you know, having a little bit of confidence with uh, with the best guys on tour, you know, it's uh, very important. And, you know, obviously we had, uh, from my side, very, very great practice sessions, you know, two weeks, uh, very intense. So uh, I was very happy that, that they chose me to practice there for two weeks. And uh, I think that uh, that helped me a lot and obviously it's, a, it's an experience for uh, the rest of your life and maybe uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the best. What aspects of, of Rafa's game on clay are you trying to copy? You know, copying player is, is tough. You know, um, I think every, every player has his own style. Um, obviously you can see many things uh, from him, you know. Uh, I think you know how he is moving on court, especially on clay, sliding in the right way uh, every time is uh, is something uh, what I'm uh, looking for, and uh, you know. But you know, all together, you know, I think you can you can just learn from from him on clay, and uh, you know, I always say that we are lucky that I'm in this kind of period, you know, to seeing the best three in history, you know. So you know, taking the chance to to learn from them in the uh, in the best possible way. Very good. Uh, and you've improved your sliding? A little bit, you know. It's uh, <laughs> not much at the moment because you know when I was little, I played uh, pretty much on hard courts. Um, so you know, it's always like trying to trying to take every practice session in the best possible way and trying to improve. And yeah. Then we'll see how, how I slide in a few years on, on clay. Sinner speaking in Barcelona with us in Caderas. And even younger than Sinner is Spaniard Carlos Alcaraz, who was playing the main draw in Barcelona for the first time, having played the boys' event there not very long ago. For me, it's a dream come true. You know, I saw the tournaments since I was a kid and... Yeah, it good uh, to play in the quali two years ago. Well, for me, it's, uh, it was a, a great experience, and now I I will enjoy like a like a like a like a kid, you know. And uh, yeah, for me, it's a it's a dream come true. What's your story with this tournament and and the club? Did you come here as as a kid to watch the big stars? Yeah, I I, uh, I came uh, here a lot of years to to see the the tournament. I play here the under 14 uh, as well, and uh, yeah, I'm, I play for the Spanish tournament in, the, in this club. And uh, yeah, I, I I know a lot of people here. I I have a lot of friends here. So for me, play here in Barcelona is amazing. Do you feel a bit more pressure here, though, playing in front of your own people, um, in front of your own family, in, in your club? No, no, no. It's uh, no. For me, it's uh, better to play here with uh, my people uh, who support me uh, at home as well. So uh, I, I don't have pressure uh, to play here. For me, it's it's better. It's, it's better. I, I always wonder, like, when you play tournaments these days, um, I saw you in Australia, for example, you have a lot of media attention. You, you do a lot of interviews. You're very young, but you already have a lot of commitments. Um, ha have you had to learn how to deal with all this attention that you're getting? 
Well, I try not to think about that. Uh, I try to to still uh, focus on me, focus on, uh, on my team, training uh, on myself, and uh, yeah, uh, I just uh, see the social media a little bit, not too much, and uh, yeah, still focus on me. You try not to watch anything that's done or written about you. No, not not really. But uh, always you you have to see something, but uh, not too much. As long as it says Carlos Alcaraz is winning, never is uh, is a loser or a lose. <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, it's it's quite a remarkable story. Last year you went from ATP number 490 to 138 at the end of the year. So what's, where is your story taking you this year? Well, uh, I started the, the year really well, winning uh, two future and then uh, winning my, my first ATP match. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, well, then uh, came the, the, the quarantine, the, the virus and, uh, and stuff. But uh, I tried to... Uh, to train, to, to do fitness at the quarantine, uh, to be in a good shape, and uh, then in the, uh, when I go to play tournaments and, uh, and well, matches and uh, challengers, I, I, I played a really good game. Uh, I played uh, really comfortable on court. And, well, I, I trained really hard uh, for that. Uh, I, I only have to say that I train really, really hard. For some players, life on clay comes naturally, some less so. Canada's Denis Shapovalov was using Barcelona to test out where he's at ahead of the French Open. I think it just takes time, you know, it's uh, longer longer points, longer rallies, and uh, you really have to get get used to the sliding and, and feeling the surface. So it, I think it just, that just it's in itself takes longer to, to get used to, you know, usually the points are pretty short, but uh, going on to the clay, you're, you're expecting long, long points. Can you give us one shot on clay that, that you've worked on or that, that you always feel like you need to improve on and, and just anything specific that you can talk? Yeah, I think I've, I've improved on, you know, standing further back on the returns on, on, on the clay course on the red dirt just to give me more time and, and start the point, you know, like going a bit heavier, deeper and uh, just moving into the court after that. I feel like it's uh, definitely benefited my my clay court game. How much further are we talking? Not not crazy amount further, but definitely significantly further than I would be on the hard courts, maybe, you know, three steps back and uh, just gives me time for, for the ball to, to come down so I can, you know, hit it hit it back up heavy and uh, just kind of work myself into into the point because I, I also feel on clay there's a lot of lot of tough bounces and on the serve if there's a little bit of a misbounce then uh, it's it's pretty impossible when you're standing close. But if you're far back you can still react to it. You're getting closer to the top ten again. How important is it? How important is the number and, and to break the top ten again? Yeah, it's definitely important, but uh, honestly, my focus isn't too much on that. Um, I do want to to do well in, in the big events this year, you know, in the Masters. I feel like I'm capable to, to go deep and, and play very well. So that's that's probably my main priority. I'm not uh, not really focused on, on the rankings. One man always there or thereabouts on the dirt is Argentine Diego Schwartzman. The world number nine had a major breakthrough this year, winning his home event in Buenos Aires for the first time. I did uh, a very good week in Argentina. I think I did well in, in Australia as well, playing a good ATP Cup 
and and then I felt really really well in in the Australian Open. But uh, you know, Karatsev has uh, <laughs> had his week uh, at that time, and I didn't have much to do uh, in that match. And I think after Buenos Aires. Uh, I didn't find uh, my best tennis again. Uh, we moved to hard courts and maybe Miami. I, I did a good tournament, but then Cordas also was playing a very good match. And uh, yeah, maybe ups and downs, but uh, always uh, at this part uh, of the year, I'm trying to, to find my, my best game. And what does it take to get back to that game? What do you specifically invest to get to that point? Well, uh, not in the market at this time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be focused, you know, trying to repeat what I know. Uh, I know how, how, how to do things to feel, you know, comfortable on court and trying to improve uh, on court every single week. And I think I, I have to repeat. I have to repeat. I have to be focused. I have to... Uh, improve the things that uh, maybe I'm not doing well and you know be quiet on court fighting and trying to find again you have to be quiet on court yeah you know sometimes when when you are not uh, having good weeks you start to talk with your team you start to talk with the referee start to you know cry on court and I think that is is not the way the way is be quiet you know be ready and be focused because you never know when you are going to to do well again so you you have to you have to prepare but don't you feel like you have to let it out at some point if you're frustrated uh, well depends uh, i think you can do talking in the practicing with your team or you can do you know yeah having a a, a bad mood uh, but i think in the practice then in the match i try to I swear, I, I did a, I swear, three or four years ago in Acapulco that I, after a match against Copil, I, I break one racket, and after that match, I said, okay, it was the the last time, so I'm, I'm not going to repeat that. And was it the last time? Yeah. So, you know, you had a great season last year. Did that change your expectations for this year in some way? Some way, yes. Some way, no. Uh, the same thing. I have to repeat what I'm doing, what I did the last few years, uh, because that uh, was the key for me. Uh, it was the key to improve my ranking, to improve my tennis, to improve on court. And I think uh, I have to, I have to be ready. But uh, yeah, obviously the expect expectations maybe for me or maybe for the people who is around me change a little bit. But uh, I, I, I have to keep doing what what I did. From Barcelona to Belgrade, and it is congratulations to Matteo Berrettini on his first tour title of the year. A great week too for finalist Aslan Karatsev, who saved 23 break points to beat the world number one Novak Djokovic in his own backyard en route to a second final of the year. Coming up, we hear from Andy Murray on the past 12 months, and we reacquaint ourselves with one of the top coaches on the ATP Tour. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. After a brief spell recharging his batteries, it's great to see Argentine Dante Bottini back on tour, this time in the corner of talented Bulgarian Grigor Dimitrov. Bottini hooked up with Dimitrov earlier this year, 
after many years alongside Kei Nishikori. And that was the starting point when he sat down with Paul King. Oh, I'm very proud. Actually, it was a long journey, uh, nine years with him. So um, we worked since he was uh, 20 years old and 98 in the war until he became number four in the war. So a lot of experience and a lot of uh, good memories uh, through, throughout those nine years. As you say, it's such a long time together. I mean, I guess it must become a, a friendship as much as a, a partnership as well after such a long time. Yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, obviously I know him very well and, and the whole team uh, around him. Uh, manager, physio, trainers, you know, uh, Michael also, that he was uh, in the team with us. So obviously it was more like, a, I would say like a family uh, during those nine years. Uh, living in the same place in Bradenton, uh, every, I would see him every single time, you know, after tournaments uh, we would go practice. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of like a family. In terms of the highlights with Kay, uh, there were obviously were some obvious candidates, but tell us in your own words what the most special moments were. Oof, uh, I have a, a lot, but the, I would say uh, the first tournament that he won in Tokyo, in his hometown, uh, that was great. Uh, the final of uh, the US Open, that was amazing. And actually, I would say also the, the, the second uh, tournament that he won in Tokyo, uh, that he was very emotional after coming and losing the final, which when he was favorite, uh, that, was, uh, that was a great moment too. And you went your separate ways. It was actually back in, in late 2019. I mean, it did come from the outside a, a surprise at the time. Did you understand Kay's decision-making, though, when, that, when it came to going your separate ways? Yes, yes, I totally understood him. You know, he was very clear with me and uh, that the, he was, you know, uh, he needed a, a different voice on, on his team and the, uh, before he finished his career and... And, uh, you know, he didn't want to regret that. So I totally understood him, you know. I say, man, I wish you all the best, you know. Uh, thank you for all these nine years. And, uh, you know, that's all. You know, it's, it's very understandable. Obviously, uh, you know, he's had his injury issues, hasn't he, uh, over the years. But looking at him now from the outside, do you see him maybe still recovering some of that, that form that he's shown over the last few years? Yes, I think so. I think so. He's still, you know, even though he's 30 or 31, I think now, uh, he's still young, you know, he works very hard. Uh, he's a super athletic, you know, very talented uh, player. So I think uh, we're still going to see AK for a few more years and hopefully he does well. You know, I, I wish him the best and, and the whole team. So you went your separate ways with, with, with Kane Shikori in, in late 2019. Then, of course, the, the pandemic last year. What did you do with, your, with all that time in your hands last year? Yeah, that was, uh, well, I, um, I took a few months off uh, after I finished with the K in October. And then I started working with uh, Nicolas Yari uh, from Chile. Um, then, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately he, uh, after a month that we started working together, he had this problem with doping. And then uh, with the pandemic thing, you know, I stay, I went back home to Argentina with my family for two months. And then I went back to my home <laughs> that I live in Bradenton actually uh, I have two homes so and, uh, and then I keep working with him and helping him out uh, through through the whole year uh, to Nicolas Jerry and until um, until I have the call from Grigor yeah tell us about that then how, how did the whole uh, the new the new collaboration with Grigor come about uh, and how pleased are you with the, the early progress well we we actually talked with Grigor uh, uh, after I finished with Kay um, he called me late in late in the year and I already have everything set up with Nicolas Yaris, so but he called me to maybe to start working together and 
I couldn't do it because I, I was already set with Nicolas Jarry. Uh, but then he called me again last year, at the end of last year, and to give it a try. And obviously I came here for three days, we did like a tryout. We talk, we talk a lot, we practice a little bit, but we talk a lot. And we connected very well, so we started working together uh, doing the pre-season here before going to Australia. And uh, actually, yeah, we started the year very well. He played very well in Australia. Unfortunately, he had a little bit of an injury on his back on quarterfinal, but, uh, but um, you know, we started very well. Um, I mean, he's a guy that, that was incredibly talented, you know, right from the off. He had that incredible run, didn't he, sort of five, six years ago now. But it must have been a, a sort of an encouraging sort of a guy to sort of approach you because the guy has incredible talents and I guess a sort of a fixer-upper, if you like, to try and rediscover some of that incredible form we saw when he first arrived on the scene. Yes, yes, of course, of course. He's, uh, everybody knows uh, the talent that he has, you know, and, and uh, the ability uh, on the court, you know. I, obviously, physically, he's very, he's very good too. Um, but uh, I think we have to reinforce a little bit uh, uh, some mind aspects, you know, and, and some things on the court too, you know, how to play with certain guys and, and how to approach uh, uh, certain matches. But, uh, but you know, we just started, it's, it's my fourth tournament with him, so I'm fairly new still, uh, and we start knowing each other. Uh, we're still knowing, uh, trying to know each other, and hopefully we have a great year. Um, I read somewhere that the first time you sort of stepped on a, a practice court with him, he, he even sort of surprised you some of the some of the ability he's got that you don't necessarily see on 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 match courts. Just explain what you meant by that. Yes, yes, it's, uh, I mean the, the the ability that the, he came up with some incredible shots, and and how easy he managed to do some difficult shots to make them easy. Um, I was very very impressed and. And listen, I worked with Kay for nine years, and Kay is very talented, and you know he makes things easy. But uh, I was super, super impressed uh, to see Grigor doing some really difficult shots become very easy. Um, 29 years old though now. I mean, how easy is it for you as a coach to sort of translate that and get that from the practice courts onto the match courts? Well, it's uh, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not because he's already old as as you could say you know as a tennis player he's not a young kid that you can tell him a lot of things and then he's going to change them right away you know he's he has already his personality he has already his his game so it's a little bit more how to how to manage how to get in into his head you know to do certain things you know and obviously it's, it's talking talking to him and, and expressing my belief on things that he can do on the court or, or his game and then he needs, obviously, he, he needs to believe me and agree with me. And, and about your, your coaching style as well, I noticed in Acapulco and again out, out here today, you're a very encouraging coach. I mean, is that something that's your own personal style or do some players sort of need more sort of encouragement than others, would you say? No, I think it's my style. I'm, a, I'm always trying to be very positive and trying to, to, to see the, 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 the best things, you know. Obviously, when I see the bad things, I, I share that with my player and I tell them to not to do it anymore or to try not to do it anymore. But I, I like to always finish in a high note uh, on my practices and, and, to, and to share the bad things, but to share more the positive things and the things that he can do. I think it's just uh, very important, you know, uh, for, for any player, uh, for a human being, you know, <laughs> to, 
to 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 live because this is, this is kind of your job, you know, on the practice course. So if you live bad, and then you go home and then you start thinking, that's that's not the that's not too good, you know. It's not a pleasant feeling. So obviously you always try to get a uh, finish in the high note or in a, in a in a positive way or to to look the good things. What do you like courtside during a match? You know, I'm I'm very positive. I'm super positive. I always encourage him. Always telling him, uh, you know, the good things that he's doing. You know, and, and always cheering, pumping him, pumping him up. Um, you mentioned what an incredible start you, you had. I mean, that that run in Melbourne, it, it really was something to watch. I mean, it was heartbreaking for him, as you say, in the end with with that with that back problem. But I mean, you must come away with that as well as frustrated, but with some incredibly uh, positive thoughts coming away from Melbourne. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Especially that he played really tough players uh, uh, through through the quarterfinal. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, very pleased and very happy for what I saw. And plus, I, uh, he was playing really well. Uh, we did a good preseason and he was playing very well. Mentally, he was very focused. He was, you know, believing on the on his on his game plan, so so I was very happy for what I was uh, seeing there, and um, unfortunately, that happened in the quarterfinal. I mean, before I knew I knew that before uh, when we were warming up, I saw that something was wrong, and he shared that to me. And uh, yeah, it's always heartbreaking when uh, when you have to lose a match like that, or when you have to retire. Um. What's what's next then? What's what's the sort of missing step, let's say, for for Grigor to really rediscover that sort of that title-winning form that we, we know he had? We know he's got the talent. It, it's, it's just a mental thing, is it? In the end, I think I think it's, it's uh, to get a little bit more consistency on on his uh, on his game on his on his tournaments. Uh, you know, obviously you can you can win, you can lose, but um, but I want him uh, if we have to lose, you know, the the match, you know. To, to lose on his own terms, you know, like uh, trying and, and going for the shots and going for his game. I think, um, you know, if, if he keeps doing that, you know, it's, like I say, for me, he's a great player, you know, it's going to be tough to beat him. So, but he needs to keep trying and, and give the, the 100% on, on every single match. And crucially for me, I think I noticed when you're watching Grigor play, it, it really feels like he's enjoying his tennis uh, more again. And, uh, and he's not, you know, getting to sit down on himself. Do you, do you think that's fair to say? I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, I think so. And for what I heard, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's been more happy and, and and giving it all. So hopefully it's like that. You know, like I say, before I always uh, play against him. <laughs> My players, they play against him or, or we practice against him. So I didn't, I didn't know him at the day-to-day basic. But now that I'm starting to know him, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's focused, he's eager, you know, to, to keep going. So hopefully... Uh, we keep going through the whole year like that. Dante Bottini speaking with Paul King. Finally this week, from the early tournament cancellations at the beginning of 2020 to his recent injury woes and his thoughts on life for the weeks and months ahead, here is Andy Murray. Yeah, well, I was literally about to book my flights to go to Miami uh, for the, the tournament. Um, I'd been training, preparing for that. Um, still had a bit of discomfort in my my left kind of groin, which had kept me out of the beginning of the year in, in Australia. And then, uh, yeah, and then obviously it hit.
tennis was obviously at that moment we didn't know how long it was going to go on for what it you know what it was going to look like so I was obviously disappointed but then you know once it became clear how um, serious uh, coronavirus was that was kind of the tennis was kind of the furthest thing from your your thinking really I mean every day was kind of the same um, I was at one stage I was getting up unbelievably early at like five o'clock to go to the gym uh, because it was just full on during the day with the you know with the children it's stressful for for parents about trying to keep them occupied and find new things and fun things to play with them and making different stuff and after the first few weeks that became pretty hard because your imagination kind of runs out and there's not a whole lot you can do so it was yeah it was it was tough but that was kind of what we were doing every day for the sort of seven eight weeks that we had of our initial kind of lockdown it was difficult to see how we were gonna how we were going to get back to having these international events with you know players traveling from all over the world um, and then obviously that started again in New York with Cincinnati and, and the US Open. I had only really been training like full-on for three or four weeks before getting to, to New York so I hadn't been practicing loads because I'd, I'd still had some, some issues with, with, with my groin and I'd been doing a lot of rehab and you know tried to limit the amount of practicing I was doing so I didn't have huge expectations when I went over there. I actually didn't mind playing in front of no crowd at the time because I was excited to, to be back playing and getting the chance to compete so I was pretty happy with, with how I played um, and had, had some good wins. Eyes on the ball, I can never fall, gotta stand tall, yeah. Eyes on the ball, I can never fall, gotta stand tall, has been linked to the Australian Open, a man in his 20s who is not a player. The fresh case comes as COVID-infected tennis star Andy Murray confirmed he is not coming to Melbourne to compete. I was really disappointed that I couldn't go. Um, I'd, yeah trained and prepared really, really well and I was feeling really good and my tennis was in a good place and, you know, my team had put in a lot of effort and, you know, we'd been extremely careful and very, um, I think, diligent with all of the, the protocols and trying to limit our risks. Like, I was supposed to go to Delray Beach to play the tournament there and we opted to not to go to that event because the cases were quite high in Florida and just wanted to limit the, the risk um, as well. And then... Yeah, we had a few cases at our, our national tennis centre and unfortunately picked it up. And um, yeah, it was, it was tough. I was really, really disappointed. I didn't, didn't watch much at all. Um, I unfollowed all the tennis players and stuff that I follow on, uh, on social media because I just yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to see everyone, you know, practicing and playing matches and having a good time over there because I wanted to be there myself, uh, honestly. So I tried to just distance myself from it. 
during Australia, um, I went to play at Challenger in Italy and Biela and you know, I managed to get five matches in six days and managed to reach the finals. It was positive for me and that I was winning matches straight away at that level. Um, obviously not the same level as winning on, on the tour, but it was, you know, it was a good start for me and then you know, now the next step is to try and do it consistently on, on the main tour again and, and stay healthy for a period of time. So I'm hoping um, that I'll be able to do that. That is it for this week. I'm Seb Lozier. I hope you've enjoyed the pod. Join us again next week when I'll be in Madrid with all the build-up to the third Masters 1000 of the year, the Mutua Madrid Open. In the meantime, there are events underway right now in Munich and Estoril, building up to Madrid, Rome, and then, of course, the French Open Roland Garros. Remember, you can watch those two events live on Tennis TV. Otherwise, enjoy the tennis. We'll see you next week.